0: We are in the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 3, verses 8 through 16. Last week, we talked about the qualifications for bishops. Really, all leaders of the church are servants. are here to serve. And so these are descriptive of what a servant ought to be or any kind of leader even though this is talking about deacons you can apply it to many different people and leaders in the church so in first timothy chapter three i'm just going to read the first four words literally it says likewise deacons must be so paul has been describing bishops now he's switching gears and he's going to be describing deacons there is an example in Acts chapter 6, which I'm going to read to you. It's the first appointment of deacons that you see here in the New Testament. And it simply says this Now, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve, that's the apostles, Summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And the same pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they sent before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Listen to verse 7. Then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, And a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. That's the first appointment of deacons. There was a problem. The widows were not getting fed, especially a particular group. And I guess maybe up to that point, the apostles were trying to do taking care of the widows and the orphans and all that kind of thing. And they came to the point to say... It's not good for us to do that, not because they're not servants, but the primary role of the apostle was to study the word of God and to preach. They appointed these men who would take care of the distribution of food to the widows and to the poor, to orphans, uh, but they did much more than that. These were spirit-filled men. So... They were capable of much more than that, uh, and whenever things—here's the rule of decently in an order. Have you ever heard that term? So, whenever the apostles appointed the deacons, all of a sudden they had more time for study, for prayer, for doing the apostle type work. And then verse seven says, "It grew even more." So there is a benefit to structure. In the church. There's a big benefit to structure in the church. I say that primarily because some, and I'm not saying we are, we do have deacons. We have seven deacons, we have several pastors, we have discipleship director, we have teachers, we have all kinds of different roles in this church. And when that happens, then there's structure. How many of you when there's no structure, there's chaos? You ever been in a work environment where there's no structure? Nobody knows what the other person's doing and it's just chaos? Well, if you didn't have structure in the church, it could be chaos. And as Pentecostal people, which I like, we sometimes want to just flow in the spirit, but flowing in the spirit is easier when you have structure. That way you know who's responsible for what. Things get done in our church. Buildings get taken care of. Uh, People get ministered to. Ministers are put into places. All kinds of things happen whenever there's structure in the church. So that's why we talk about and we train and we teach on bishops and deacons because it will allow the church to grow. Let's read those first four words of Now I'm going to 1 Timothy Chapter 3, verse 8 Likewise, deacons Must be So uh, He's about to list the qualifications For Deacons, just like he did For bishops Deacons are practical servants Leadership In the church Now let me say this It is a mistake to see one office as more prestigious than the other. Bishop in a church may have more responsibility. But bishops and deacons are all needed. Now we don't have a position of bishop within this church. Although it's totally biblical to do so. And what a bishop is, is he is essentially uh, a leader of leaders. So he would, for instance, there could be a bishop or an elder, most of the time people call them elders, over the deacons. It's not a matter of prestige. How I mean what did I say last week? The higher up you go in service for the Lord, you know, uh, the more of a servant that you really are. So that's that's important that we see that. So let's read the rest of verse eight. And we'll read through verse 12. So he's going to talk about qualifications for deacons. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued. This is New King James. Not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested. Then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanders, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their houses well. So notice some of those requirements are the same as what we talked about last week as far as a bishop. I taught a class for Book called "Decently in an Order," and it talks about this structures of how churches can be organized. Uh, it's a good book if you are more interested in the structure and the organization of a church. It's it's good. A deacon must be reverent. What does it mean to be reverent? Not reverend, because that's a pe- a preacher or a pastor. Reverent. What does that mean? Deep respect. Good. Anybody else? Reverent. Can you be reverent to man and to God? Actually, you can, right? Because you're showing deep respect for, for both. So when we come into the house of God and we have a worship service, sometimes we talk about being reverent, don't we? Right? That means we're reverent before God and we're showing a deep respect and admiration and a an approach to God that is not flippant. So, if the president came into this building, how many knows you would not be able to just run up to him and high five him? You couldn't do that. Number one, you might get shot down by the, his bodyguard, but that is not protocol. You have to actually have to request an audience with the president, and then you might or might not get in, right, to be able to see him. Well, think about this: the King of Kings is present. He's—we know he's with us all the time. But when we come to worship the Lord, we're here to lift up the King and exalt the King. When we come into worship, we should never be flippant in our worship. We should re- approach God in a humble attitude, honoring God, honoring God's house too. That's a part of it. You don't hear a lot taught about that anymore, but I do believe it's important. We're to approach God reverently. Here, this saying. One of the requirements or one of the characteristics of a deacon is to be reverent. Not double-tongued. What might that mean? Two-faced, talking out both sides of your mouth. Not saying one thing and doing another. They must be a person of true character. Not double-tongued. A man who speaks the truth first. With no intent to deceive. When they talk about somebody being double tongued, what they're trying to do, that person, if they truly are double tongued, is they're trying to deceive people. I'm trying to say this but really mean that sometimes, like a forked tongue, like a snake. Uh, another definition of that, though, is telling one person one thing and somebody else right. something. Right, right, in order to deceive. In order to Right. And, and and maybe cause division. Maybe, whether or not that was the purpose of it or not. But how many knows when one person gets told one thing and another gets told something else, contrary to each other, then that's an opportunity for division, uh, disunity to happen. And so these are people that number one have their desire is that church and the people of God would do well. And it's not about, you see, if we approach this as I aspire to be a deacon or I aspire to be a bishop, then we totally have the wrong attitude. Uh, It's not about position, it's about serving. So we see that uh, in this. Holding to the mystery of the faith. So in other words, they are men or women of proper doctrine they have a sincere conviction about serving the lord and about serving his church so uh, that's an important characteristic of a deacon it also says here they must first be proved what does that mean must be proved you gotta have a, a good track record Are what they see, okay? How would you prove or test a deacon? Is it that they dress every Sunday morning, real fancy with a towel? Is that what makes a deacon? Is it because they have business acumen? Is that what makes them a deacon? Now those are not bad either. None of those are bad qualities, right? Is it because they're popular? No. Is it because they have uh, some special abilities? No. It's about being proven. How do you prove that you are who you say you are? It's by your conduct. You live what you say. So it's by their conduct. Deacons, here, as we look at them, they must demonstrate their fitness for office by how they act. Last week we talked about a bishop who shouldn't be a hothead. Deacons shouldn't be that either. They must be willing to serve people. Must be willing to serve the church. So their, their conduct must match their office. Not just in the church. Honestly, probably more so out in the world, because I mean, it's a lot easier to act right in the church than it is sometimes out in the world whenever somebody's really being mean to you or trying to take advantage of you or whatever. It might be a stressful situation. The real test of that deacon true test is probably not going to be so much in the churches outside. In his car, <laughs> In traffic, right? And somebody cuts him off. And the commentary that I read here uh, says this, both deacons and bishops are more recognized than appointed. Lastly, we talked about not putting a novice into the bishop's role the same thing for a deacon. Now, we talked last week, there may be an opportunity with it. You have to put a, a novice in. But we're to observe people to see if they live up to the standards and principles of the Bible. You shouldn't put a person who's a bad financial steward of their own money in charge of the church's money. It's just a bad idea. You shouldn't put people who don't know how to treat others into a role like that, right? You need to put somebody who's trusted, who's proven themselves, and so uh, that's important. Now, here it says, likewise, their wives. If it's a woman, it's their husband. It's a, it is important. How many knows that the Bible says that the husband and wife are one? Does that mean a person cannot be a deacon if their spouse is not saved? doesn't say that here. That's later on, but yeah. It doesn't say that they can't, for sure. Uh, and you can't hold that person accountable for how their spouse acts if they're not a the saved person. In general, if they're both Christians, then they need to be have the same type of character that Paul is pointing out to Timothy, uh, and by the way, that's why Paul is doing this. He's saying you need these this structure in the church in order for the church to do well, uh, in order for things to go well for you, Timothy, as the pastor of this church while I'm gone. So that's why he's doing it. All right, let's read verse thirteen. And this is a promise for those who serve as deacons. For those who have served well as deacons, obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So, God will remember if you've served. He does. He remembers. Good standing before the Lord and boldness in your faith. That's important. How you want to be bold in your faith, right? That's a promise for those who serve as deacons. Mystery, here, here Paul is saying, uh, verse 14 and 15, these things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. So Paul is being delayed, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. These are instructions for not only leadership, but how everyone should conduct themselves in the house of God which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. So, here Paul is trying to speak into Timothy's life and saying, I hope to come to you, but if I don't make it, digest what I've written to you and go ahead and get to work in the church, right? And that's what he's saying. You're the I've left you in charge. So he didn't tie his hands. He said, go ahead and and get, you know, to serving in this role. I've written to you, although I hope to come to you, is what he's saying. And knowing that he might not be able to come as soon as he wished, he sent a letter. When's the last time you got a letter? Uh, When's the last time you got a letter that wasn't asking you to join some kind of, When's the last time you got a letter that wasn't a a bill? We rarely see letters anymore, but that was a preferred way of communicating, and it's in writing. Paul, he's dictating this. More than likely, someone is writing it for him. Uh, Now, the other thing that you can kind of see in this is that I believe that Paul initially thought that Timothy's position would probably be temporary. That doesn't mean that he didn't have faith in Timothy. It may mean that once you've served in this role and I come back then we're going to go out together and do some more things, right? But that this position is something that's temporary. One of the things that the Lord has really laid on my heart probably over the last five to six years I've been serving here for 12 grew up in the church is my responsibility as a pastor to train up leaders and my responsibility as a pastor to train up other pastors and other ministers and take that very seriously uh, and I believe God's blessed us because not not I'm not trying to pat myself on the back here but uh, he laid that burden on me and do you know how blessed we are as far as how we have many, many ministers in this house? Uh, it is the responsibility, especially of the, the senior pastor, to train up and give opportunity. How I many of you cannot train someone if you don't give them opportunity? And I'm saying this because, not so much lately, but I've been asked before, why, why do you sit up and let somebody else preach for five or six weeks? That's a reason. Believe me, I love to preach. It's difficult for me to sit and not preach. But it's my responsibility as a pastor to train up other ministers. Whether they stay or not. I've had a lot of good preachers that went on to minister in other places. Harrison is one of those. He preaches in his church a lot. Clara and her husband started a you know, church, Trent, when he left, went on to be youth pastor uh, in a church that was much larger than ours, right? Uh, and so, training leaders is important. And that's what Paul is doing here with Timothy. But you can't do that without giving opportunity. So he's telling him how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. Uh, it's practical information how to run things in the church in Ephesus. And it's about the house of God. Not <coughs> You can get leadership principles from the Bible. I mean, all that's true. And you can apply it in the business world, and many of them work. But this is about the house of God. It's different. There are business aspects to the church. Do you believe that? Right? Because there's bills to be paid, there's money to be raised, there's vision to be casted, just like they do in another organization. Uh, But the church is not just a business, right? It is the house of God. And here Paul's uh, pointing that out to him uh, and we're to try to serve in the house of God. Now, it's God's house. So he's the architect. He's the builder. He's the one that we want to be here, his presence, right? And he's the one to be honored and he's the one to be obeyed. So Paul's pointing out here it's the house of God. Why is he doing that? Because he's got a young man in leadership, right? This is my thought on it. And he doesn't want Timothy to think, I've got to run this thing myself. It's my church. When I get discouraged or things don't seem to be going in the manner that I think they ought to in this house, I've literally had God say, it's not your church, remember? And it's not. And so I say, okay, then I'm not responsible for how big it gets, right? Now I'm going to do my part and I'm going to serve, but God is the one who sends people. It kind of takes some stress off when you understand that it's the house of God. It's the church of the living God. And God's called us together for a purpose. To be winners of souls, and to serve one another, and to value what God has done for us, and to value that in such a manner that we want his church to do well. Notice I'm saying whose church it is? It's his. And he's already spoken that what's going to happen is the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. He'll build it. Who knows sometimes we get in the way of that. So we have to be careful to understand whose church it is. And it's not some God who's dead. He's a living God. Verse 16. And without Controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. Here Paul saying, without controversy. There's no controversy about those facts that he just listed. They're self-evident of who God is and what he has done. God was manifested in the flesh, it said. How was God manifested in the flesh? In Christ, right? Through Jesus. John chapter 1. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So, uh, God was manifested in the flesh. That second person of the trinity unlike any of the other members of the trinity took on flesh took flesh on into his deity so he's both 100% God and 100% man that doesn't make sense mathematically because it's 200% God man yes it is Uh, so he's both He never stopped being God when he took on humanity. Blow your mind, when he went back to heaven, he never stopped being man either because he is the God man. And without him being the God man, he was not the perfect sacrifice because he had to represent us. That's important that God was manifested in the flesh, he added his deity. He added to his deity humanity, and manifested in the flesh. Now, look back at that verse. Isn't it written just kind of just kind of flow? And when you look at that, it's thought that this might have been an ancient hymn that people sang. How many of that when you sing something, you remember it much better? I'm not going to ask you to do it, but how many... Remember your ABCs. Can you say your ABCs without singing them? It's hard, it's hard to do, and so there's power in singing to help us to remember because there's a rhythm about it, right? And we learn it. That's why many times hymns you know, and some of our modern-day songs, honestly, Sunday we sang a modern-day hymn. I mean, it was very much written like one of the old hymns. It was just new. It just got written. They teach principles in hymns. I'm, I'm going to re-correct that. Some hymns teach principles. Some, not as much as others. But anyway, uh, it's it's important to look at this, and it may be a have been a hymn of a particular church, uh, or of the new the, of the you know the church that was alive. Time. If you want to memorize scripture, put it to tune. You can do that, right? Anybody, anybody know a, uh, a scripture by Psalm? Is there, is there an example here? Wings of Eagles is one. It has scripture within it. There's several, and uh, uh, it's it's helpful for us. All right. So Jesus was. God was justified in the spirit. That he was declared to be God he was justified in the spirit. So he was completely justified before the father. He's in a role he is God. He's equal with God co-equal with God, co-equal with the Holy Spirit. Seen by angels. The ministry of Jesus on earth Uh, there were angels involved in that. Not just at his birth, but also at his death. Preached among the Gentiles. I mean, knows that that is a part of God's plan. Right? I'm thankful that it is. I'm thankful that it was not just the Jewish people. But he was preached among the Gentiles. That happened because of the preaching of the word of God. The word of God, by hearing the word of God, faith comes by hearing the word of God. Right? So, he was received up into glory. What does that mean? Resurrection. Resurrection, but also his ascension. He's received up in the glory. He leaves here The ascension. He's finished, so he leaves. He finished everything the Lord told him, God told him to do, so he said, see ya. And he got to sit down, because he worked while he was here, right? Uh, at the right hand of the Father. He's still working. So Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these descriptions of the Christian character that we look at. So whenever uh, we, we see that Christ is our example, he speaks, he is the character that we're to model after. It is through our relationship with Jesus that we can become what we're called to be. So this is not about just striving what God's called us to be but it's through that relationship that we have with the Lord that we actually become what he's called us to do he helps us the Holy Spirit helps us to do and to become everything that we've been called to be and to do we have to listen listen. last week we talked about our conscience being seared uh, but we have to listen to the Holy Spirit and be obedient. And can I tell you, if you're the more times you're disobedient, the easier it is to be, be disobedient again. It's important that we hear God and obey immediately, because delayed obedience is disobedience. Now, God might forgive you of that. And he will if you do finally go do that. We are, we're called to this character. And I, I want to emphasize again that if you look at this and you say, I'm not a deacon, therefore I don't need this, then that's incorrect. All of those characteristics of both bishop and deacon that have been listed here are all characteristics that we need to have in our life in order to be in leadership. And when we talk about leadership last week about how it's incorporated into many, many different things. Not just the pastor's the leader, but deacons are leaders, Sunday school teachers are leaders, you're leading your own class, directors are leaders, all those things. So uh, we need all of these in our life. And the way that you get them is to submit to the Lord. Submission, that's not a term you hear much about whenever you talk about leadership. Servant leadership. Alright. Let's go through the questions. So where in the New Testament is the word deacon first mentioned? Acts chapter 6. Verses 1 through 6 specifically. Question 2. What does the word reverent mean? Showing respect. towards both God and man. We added to that. What does not double tongued mean? True character, speaking the truth, not trying to deceive. How is a person tested for the office of deacon? By their actions or their conduct? Question 5, according to verse 13 What is promised to deacons who have served well? Good standing with God and great boldness and the faith, both of those. According to verse 15, why did Paul write to Timothy? To show him how to conduct himself in the house of God. Question 7, what does God was manifested in the flesh mean? He was manifested in the flesh, yes, through Christ. Through Christ, that description is explaining how Christ Became a man, he was a man, both man and God. Yes. Verse 16 is thought to have been an ancient life. Yeah. Him. And then received up in glory refers to what? The righteous. Yes.